The title of my talk to you this morning is The Fruit of the Spirit is Goodness. I said to Richard during the week, I wish you'd got this one to do. Because how do you define uh, goodness? It is the broadest subject imaginable, isn't it? And uh, somehow my task this morning is to try and articulate uh, uh, for you and with you what, what this whole idea of the fruit of the Spirit being goodness means. It is one of those words that is so broad in the way we use it. Just um, listen to this long sentence. A good job, a good friend, a good sermon, a good book, a good meal, good behaviour, good marriage, good game, a good goal, good sleep, good weather, a good plan, a good point, a good joke, a good film, a good kiss, a good holiday, a good pet, a good cook, good breaks, it's quite important, good eyesight, good party, a good wash, a good motor, a good reason, a good try, good news, a good husband, good wife, a good work, good taste. How many different ways do we use the word goodness? American uh, author and uh, pastor John Rittenbough says this, the common idea in almost all of these uses is that they suggest a desirable quality, something commendable, reliable, welcome, enjoyable, beneficial, kind, noble, admirable, propitious, or exemplary. I think one of the issues we have when we come to Galatians chapter 5 and these fruit of the Spirit, this list of nine traits, is that this one seems to include all the others, doesn't it? And how on earth are we to define uh, the fruit of the Spirit being goodness as a separate thing? Why does it appear there in the middle of this list as a separate thing when all the other fruit of the Spirit seem to sum it up? It's a good thing to be patient, to be kind, to have self-control, to be faithful. So why does Paul include this idea of goodness there right in the middle? Well, what I want to try and do is to, let's try and build up a working definition of, of goodness. Because this is one of those words, isn't it? You think goodness and you kind of know what it means. But it'll be good for us, I think, to try and work out a little definition. Uh, this week, the first thing I did was go to the concise Oxford Dictionary to look up the word goodness. And I found that even in our English, there are three distinct ways that the word goodness is used. Okay? So, definitions. What is goodness? The first thing that the dictionary says is that goodness is a kind of excellence. Goodness, in one sense, is an ultimate quality. Something that just is good and noble and right and clean. There's nothing sinister or dark in it. It is just excellent. We might say something is praiseworthy or admirable. When we sense goodness, 
One of the things that happens is that we kind of have this warm sense inside, don't we? And we perhaps stand back and we might say to ourselves secretly or we might say to others if we're with them, wow, that's good. When we see something excellent, it, it, it evokes something in us of admiration, doesn't it? That's just brilliant. That's good. That's one use of the word goodness. Another use is the idea of generosity. I think this gets a little bit mixed up with the idea of kindness. Uh, for example, maybe you've been helped uh, by someone when you were in need or in trouble and you were thankful for their goodness to you. You get that idea? If you're anything like me, maybe you were late and perhaps it wasn't your fault and the person who was waiting for you had the goodness to wait and not get all frustrated with you. That's another word, use of the word goodness, isn't it? Generosity or kind of kindness. And uh, another idea is the idea of something beneficial. I want to show you a video clip in a minute. But when I asked my kids, uh, this is good research when you're preaching, I said to my kids, what is the first thing that springs to mind when I say to you the word goodness? And one of them said, fruit and it made me stop for a minute then I realised what they meant was they've been taught there's goodness in a piece of fruit it does you good it's juicy and uh, this idea of goodness it made me think of an old advert if you're old enough to remember this hopefully this will work Jai we're going to show a little video clip a finger of fudge is just enough to give your kids a treat. A finger of fudge is just enough and it is time to eat. It's full of peppery goodness but very small and neat. A finger of fudge is just enough to give your kids a treat. Only 10p? About, are they about 30p now? Put your hand up if you remember that, you're showing your age. A finger of fudge is just enough. <laughs> And what did it say in the middle? This is what it, when my kids said fruit, it made me think of that advert. It's full of Cadbury what? Goodness. It's full of Cadbury goodness. What, what are they trying to say in the advert? That when you have a fudge, it'll do you good? It's full of Cadbury goodness. So all these three ideas are part of the idea. It, there's an excellence in goodness, there's a generosity in goodness, and there's something beneficial in goodness. Now, I'm going to leave those words up there. Just hold those three thoughts, because the next thing that I did after going to the dictionary was to think about what words in the Bible are used that are translated goodness. One, one of the issues with English is that sometimes we have one word and we use it in so many different ways. In Greek, there are at least three words in the New Testament that, that, that we translate goodness not, not always goodness, because they mean slightly different things. Uh, the word kalos is a Greek word that is sometimes translated goodness. And I, I, this is very broad. I'm, I'm being very general here. But the word kalos, really, if you sum it up, it really means something that looks good. The idea of aesthetic goodness. And if you were using this word to describe someone's behaviour, it would be behaviour that was pleasing you know when someone does something noble or heroic, it's got that idea of it's very pleasing to look at. 
Another word that's used in the New Testament is the word krestos. This one is a slightly different nuance. This one means not that it looks good, but that it feels good. Some writers talk about this being a more material word. It's about usefulness or something being pleasant to use. When I was reading about this word, it made me think of a great big fat sofa. Uh, it feels good to sit in it. That's goodness. Or a refreshing cool drink on a hot day. That's goodness. It's nice to use. Something sometimes at work, you, you know that we're, the business that I run is involved in product design, and you know when you have a product that is just good, everything works like it should, it does what it says on the tin. When you click it together, it just clicks nicely, it doesn't fall apart again. There's something about Krastos that's about that idea of things working and being pleasant to use. This word, if you were talking about behaviour, would be very closely related to the idea of kindness. It feels good. There's something compassionate and nice about the word krastos. What was the last fruit of the Spirit that we looked at? Kindness. Do you know the word kindness in this list is the word well, it's krastotes actually. It's got the Greek equivalent of ness on the end. It's krastos. So that shows immediately there's a difference. Krastos really means it feels good. There's a kindness in it. The word that we're looking at here is the word agathos. This really means ultimate goodness. It doesn't just look good or feel good. It just is inherently and ultimately good. But this is the thing that I want to stress. Agathos is not a passive word. But it has within it the idea of action. Bible commentator William Barclay says, Agathos is the widest word for goodness and it's defined as virtue equipped at every point. I love that phrase. Just think about that. Virtue equipped what it really means is it, 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 there's a sense of goodness that's ready for action. Virtue, equipped and ready. It's on the starting blocks, ready to go. Agathos describes something that is good, something that does good, something that looks good, that works right, that brings benefit and is utterly admirable from whichever angle you look at it. You can't have agathos in an armchair because it's not a passive quality but a doing quality it isn't just good character or good intentions but good action that guy John Rittenbaugh that we quoted earlier says agathos is therefore active even aggressive goodness it is more than excellence of character it is character energised expressing itself in active good let's go back to the dictionary definitions then that we had at the top Here, here's I'm going to just change that slightly here's my definition then of goodness biblically excellence of character that leads to generous action that is beneficial to others 
It's taken me four days to come up with that. I would have expected a better response than that. <laughs> Good, this is biblical goodness. Excellent character leading to generous activity that is beneficial to others. Let me just make one thing clear before we rattle on. When Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit being goodness, he's not talking about just being right. Can I, can I say that again? When he talks about the, spirit of the fruit of the Spirit being goodness, he is not talking about just being right. This is about being overflowingly and actively and energetically good. There's no cap on this. There's no box to tick. There's no line to cross. The possibilities in this subject are endless and limitless. And this, this is always the issue with, with religious people who are stone cold dead. They're only interested in being right. They're not interested in being good. They just want to tick a box and sit comfortably. I'm okay. Does it really care about anyone else? That isn't what Paul's talking about here. The fruit of the Spirit is not being right, ticking a box. It is goodness. Overflowing, energetic, courageous, living goodness. This is about life that bubbles over, not death that is miserable and cold-hearted. Excellent character. Generous activity that benefits others. That isn't dead. That isn't about being right. You can't, you can't draw a line and say, yes, I'm good. There's no end to that. The possibilities are endless. Now, you, you may well be ahead of me we, we've got a working definition now of goodness and there's only two things for us to do now well, one of them is to use this definition to think about the goodness of God and the second thing is to use this definition to think about what does the fruit of the spirit then goodness look like or should, should it look like in our lives but we're, we're going to spend about three days now to look at those two things there's only two things to do. So first of all, think about that definition and let's think about what does the goodness of God look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. Excellence of character expressing itself in the most boundless, generous activity that benefits others. Is that not a definition of the goodness of God? In these things... God, these things are ultimate qualities and they're taken to great heights. Just as we think about the goodness of God then, first of all, there was a preacher in the 1600s whose name was Thomas Manton and he said four things about the goodness of God. And uh, did, I, did I remember to put a slide in there about this? Yes, I did. Excellent. He said these four things. 
God is originally good. He is essentially good. He is infinitely good. And he is unchangeably good. Let's just spend a couple of minutes on picking those four. I can't, I can't do better than that really. So I thought I'd crib Thomas Manton's four comments. Let's unpick that. God is originally good. In other words, just think about this. No one makes God good. He is good in himself. No one teaches him to be good. No one forces him to be good. No one makes him good. God is originally good in himself. In fact, everything else that is good derives its goodness from him who is the fountain of original goodness. Secondly, Thomas Manton said that God is essentially good. When he says essentially, this was in the 1600s, what he's meaning is that goodness is God's essence. What, What he means by that is not that God is the good or God is a good. What he means is that God in himself, his very nature is goodness itself. He is essentially good. It's his very essence. The very standard of goodness is found in God. And this is interesting, I don't want to dwell on this, but this, don't we live in a very subjective culture? One of the great questions of our modern culture is who decides what's good or bad? And our modern culture's answer to that would be, you do. No one can tell you. It's up to every individual person to make their own mind up what is good or bad. There's a very telling verse at the end of the book of Judges in the Old Testament where we're told, many, many years before Jesus, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as he saw fit. One older version of the Bible says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Does that not sum up our modern culture? Everyone just does as they see fit. We're told there's no sense of absolute Anything that's absolute must be kind of out to con you. And goodness becomes a very subjective thing. Wayne Grudem uh, says, uh, Biblically, God is the final standard of good. And everything that God does is worthy of approval. I want to suggest to you, this morning as we think about this and unpick this subject this, that, that, is that not good news that God is good he is utterly reliable and trustworthy when we speak of the goodness of God we're speaking of his utter perfection everything that he is and everything that he does everything that comes out of his mouth is pure, unadulterated goodness. The psalmist writes with great understatement, Lord, you are good, and what you do is good. The goodness of God means that he is everything he should be, perfectly, all the time. Everything fits, everything works, everything is in harmony. Nothing is out of place or jarring. He is utterly good and right. 
one way of looking at this is to say how consistent God is in himself. You could philosophically conceive of a God or a kind of deity who wasn't good. What I mean by that is this pseudo-God knows what he ought to do but just can't be bothered to do it. He's changeable. He fixed himself. I'm God. I can do what I like. I feel like being bad today. Can you imagine a God like that? We were watching rugby yesterday. I was just thinking about this. When you see these great hulking brutes of men and uh, you don't get the full kind of gist of it on the TV because they all look the same. When you, when, you, when you see a rugby player walk into the room and everyone goes, wow, whoa. The, the, the kind of six packs rippling and the height and the width of these men. Think about this. When you meet a strong man who is evil, is that not scary? But when you meet a strong man who's a good man, is that not comforting and inspiring? When you, when you meet a man who uses his strength to protect the weak and to do honour and goodness, isn't that admirable? Listen, God in his nature is essentially good. He is powerful and infinite and full of majesty, but he isn't a tyrant. His nature is essentially good. He's good in his motives, he's good in his intentions, he's good in his actions and words. God alone is utterly admirable and praiseworthy. He never takes a wrong turn. He never makes a mistake. He's good. Thomas Manton said thirdly that God is infinitely good. There's no end to his goodness. When God gives, he never runs out. Think about that. He knows no tiredness or depletion. When we do good things, we have to go and have a lie down. When God, goes, when God does good things, it makes no difference to him. Why? Because he's like an ocean of goodness. You can't turn the tap on and it run out. He gives and gives and gives because he's infinite in his goodness. I think he was onto something, Thomas Manton. He's the fountain of goodness. And lastly, Thomas Manton said, if those three things weren't enough, he's unchangeably good. That's important, isn't it? What, what Thomas Manton meant by that was, God isn't growing to be more good as he experiences more and more things. He always has been and always will be perfectly good. He's not learning from his mistakes. He's not kind of growing in wisdom. He is eternally and unchangeably all the time infinitely good. I, I, I'm struggling because there's no words to describe that, is there? Thomas Manton's made a good fist of it there. But our definition is an active one. Goodness is excellence of character expressed in generous activity that is beneficial to others. Oh, there's, so, there's so much that we could say on this. Let, let me give you two. In the Bible there are two great themes that show this active side of God's goodness. One of those themes is creation. And the other is salvation. And they both demonstrate God's active, benevolent uh, goodness. And uh, we, we haven't got time really to, to dwell on these 
uh, fully. But think about the idea of creation. God's creative power. His lavish generosity. Creation shows that God is good in his imagination and extravagance. In Genesis, when it says God, God looked at what he made and he stood back and went, wow, that's good. When God created humans, he stood back and went, wow, now that, that is very good. God is not stingy. Think of the wastefulness that there is in creation. The way that we have far, far more than we need. You know, God, God makes things that really are n- nothing other than just there to give pleasure. The, the world doesn't have to be this colourful. It doesn't have to be this abundant. It doesn't have to be uh, so varied. Even, even silly little things like food. food God, God, what a great invention, eating this. God could have designed it so that we ate the food that astronauts eat. You know, you just kind of, it's a wafer and you put it in and it gives you calories. How boring is that? No, you can sit at the table and eat a meal and it tastes good and it warms your heart. Why did God have to do that? Because he's a generous, benevolent, kind and extravagant God. I was just thinking of Paul. When, when Paul went to Athens where all the clever people were and he, they invited him to speak in their clever people's place the Areopagus and Paul he said in Acts chapter 17 the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and doesn't live in temples built by hands and he isn't served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all man life and breath and everything else from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being. The goodness of God seen in his creative explosive power generosity Richard read from Psalm 145 there's so many different psalms we could read about this subject the Lord's love and compassion for all of his creatures the way God provides let me just pause for a minute because I don't want you to miss this I've got to preach on this subject, goodness. Well, we're halfway through, as you can see. And as I've been preparing this week, I've been very, very struck by the thought of my own personal ingratitude to such a God. Does that strike you as we talk about God's creative power and imagination? every breath that we take depends on his goodness and we sometimes live don't we as if God doesn't exist the arrogance of it the ingratitude of it 
Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 that human beings, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Instead of saying thank you, we ignore him. Instead of it being our joy and delight to obey him, we rebel against him. Instead of loving the giver, we make idols of the gifts he gives to us and worship them instead of him. What a criminal scandal that is. Many times I've taken you back to the Garden of Eden and the encounter between the serpent and Adam and Eve. We haven't got time to go into the whole issue of the origin of evil and all that relates to God's goodness. We'd be here till I don't know when. But going back to that instant, what did the serpent say to Eve? Did God really say? Do you know what the subtitle to that is? What the serpent's really saying to Eve is, is God really good? Can ye really trust him? And they fell for it. Do you know what, Eve? God's trying to pull the wool over your eyes. He doesn't really have your best interests at heart. Maybe if you leave God behind and go over here, you'll be more happy, more fulfilled, more free. When the Bible talks about our sinfulness, it is not a small thing. Because the whole pain and problem in our existence as human beings is the crime of thinking that other things are worth more than God. The essence of all sin, really, is a neglect of this very doctrine. The essence of all sin, every sin really, at its root, underneath is, God is not really good. I'm going to find something else to satisfy my yearnings. Sin is a value judgment that says, God, you're not worth it. I'm going to choose this instead. When, when you stop and think about that now, how stupid is that? The God who made us and who gives us breath and who fills us and lavishes his kindness on us. And we go, I'm not bothered. In a way, this doctrine of the goodness of God shows us how serious and criminal sin is. And that brings us to the second thing on the screen, that God shows his goodness not just in creation but in salvation. Remember, goodness is excellent character expressed in generous action for the benefit of others. God's goodness is seen most brightly, most gloriously in the fact that he doesn't just write us off, but he has pity and compassion on selfish, broken, 
sinful people. And it isn't just a passive thing as we've seen. This is an act, this is an armchair goodness. God sent his son into the world. Not to condemn the world, but to save sinners like you and me. God's, God's excellent character extends to being generous to sinful people who rebel against him. And he has their best interests at heart, at great cost to himself. He works a plan of salvation to rescue sinners and bring them back to his goodness. The goodness of God then is the ground of your faith, is it not? The goodness of God is your only hope. This isn't a random world. You matter. God made you and loves you and even though we ignore him and neglect him, he loves us still and has sent Jesus to be our saviour, to fill our hearts with his goodness and spirit. I might be talking to someone this morning who's, not, who's a religious person who's never even realised any of this. I want to ask you this morning, will you even this morning receive his goodness and allow him to save you, rescue you, bless you and fill you. Well, the fruit of the Spirit, that we've thought about the goodness of God, creation, salvation. And what a blessing God's extravagant kindness and goodness is. What do we mean then by the fruit of the Spirit? I came across one writer this week who said this. It is like... Can you see that? Is, is that really bright? Can you just about see that? I'll tell you what it says then. It says, The goodness of God planted in me. When I, when I think of the fruit of the Spirit being goodness, I, that's a fantastic phrase, that, isn't it? For someone to say, God has so been at work in my heart and life that he has planted his goodness in me. Listen, Christianity is not morality. It isn't try harder to be a good person. Christianity has the transforming power of God's goodness within it. That's why Paul includes this in his list. The fruit of God's powerful spirit is goodness. Life is not about impressing God. It is about receiving God so that he can plant his goodness in you. And as God's goodness all that we've been describing cascades out of heaven into your heart. Your heart will expand. And you'll cease wasting time being selfish and petty and shriveling. And his goodness will enlarge you and expand your heart and make you outward looking like he is he'll change your character so that you too will be marked by generous activity for the benefit of others is that not what we've been made for is that not what we all long for
In Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, Jesus talks about trees. Jesus is pretty simple, really. And he said, a good tree bears good fruit. And a bad tree that's all monkey bears monkey rotten fruit. We have trees in our garden and sometimes the fruit is a bit monkey. Sometimes it's better than others. If you're going to be good in your life, you need God's goodness to be planted in your heart so that you can spread his goodness. Are you a good tree? And one of the other great benefits of Christianity in the way it works is this. I've said this to you before, but I'll never tire of saying it again and again and again. People say in the world, seeing is believing. That is not a biblical truth. Biblically, seeing is becoming. Do you get that difference? When you see the glory and goodness of God, do you know what happens? You begin to reflect it. Seeing is becoming. It fills you and expands you. And you begin to reflect it. The more you appreciate the goodness and generosity and the wholesome kindness of God, the more your life will be marked by those things. And I can't overestimate how important that is. The one single thing that will transform your life is knowing and believing and resting in and trusting the goodness of God. When you love it and you follow him and you trust him, you'll become like him. It just happens. Seeing is becoming. God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others. Now this part I'm really struggling with now because I've got to, preachers need to get to the application part because now my question is what are you going to do with that? And I, I'm almost tempted to stop there and say that's your homework. Here's your definition. Excellent character, generous activity to the benefit of others. You can probably look at that definition and think I know what I need to do. But let me, I'm struggling with this because we could be here for three weeks giving you kind of all sorts of things that fit that definition. So let me just give you, in the time we've got left, uh, just a few little headers for you to take away. I I think the first thing I've written down here is thankfulness. We've touched on it already. The, The right response to the goodness of God is to trust him and to thank him. And uh, ultimately that means thanking him for the the greatness of the salvation that he's given to us, surely. You know, people, human nature is so quick to grumble, isn't it? You you look as though you might disagree with that. I, I know that's my nature. The Israelites in the desert, God brought them out of slavery in 450 years of slavery in Egypt. And they came out of Egypt miraculously through the Red Sea, the sea parted, they came into the desert and within 10 minutes they were grumbling. What have you brought us out of Egypt for? To die in the desert? Oh, honestly, God, what a joker. What what have you just seen? It it, it says that they provoked him to anger. No wonder. It's a wonder he didn't just go, get out of my sight, I'll start with someone else. Not 10 minutes had passed and they're whinging. And before we condemn them, isn't that not how we are? 
Let me ask you, how is your worship, praise of God? Are there times in your life when you are just too busy, too preoccupied, too wound up, to stop and count your blessings and be intentional, 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 intentional in praising God. I love the story of Paul and Silas when they went to Philippi, thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. Imagine that. And in the dampness of their prison cell, what do they do? Oh, this is rubbish, isn't it? After 20 years of gospel ministry, you'd think God might have put us in a better auditorium than this. What, do they, what are they doing? At midnight, they're singing hymns of praise to God. We don't know we're born, do we? The slightest little bit of pain and we. There's a Romanian preacher called Richard Wormbrand who spent 14 years in a communist prison, three of them in solitary confinement. This is, John Blanchard quotes this, yet he looked back on this vicious cocktail of evil, injustice and suffering with no regrets, having discovered that throughout it all his faith had flourished. This is what Richard Wembrand said, the communists believe that happiness comes from material satisfaction, but alone in my cell, cold, hungry and in rags, I danced for joy every night. Sometimes I was so filled with joy that I felt I would burst if I did not give it expression. That, that moves me to tears. Cold, hungry and in rags. But I danced for joy every night. What about corporately together as a church family? Is there a note of gladness and thankfulness to God in our church? I think our singing today has been good. That place last week was lousy, wasn't it? The acoustics, didn't it? Sound all quiet, the singing. With the big... It's nice and cosy and the singing sounds better in here, even though there's less of us this week. But it's not just about acoustics, is it? The, the, the point is, do we love Jesus? Are we grateful as a church family for what he has done and is doing in our lives? then we should praise him and thank him and serve him. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness and it's good to worship God. Secondly, not just thankfulness, I want to talk about commitment here. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Think about your relationships in your life. <clears throat> Friendships. Some of you are married. You know, there, there is such a thing in life, believe it or not, as commitment. Yeah, our modern culture, you wouldn't think so sometimes. Men. Men can be so good to their cars, their jobs, their sport, and neglect to do good to their wives and children. The spirit, the fruit of the spirit is goodness. Those of you who are involved in covenant relationships, you fulfilling your 
responsibilities. The fruit of the Spirit is not laziness or absence. It is excellent character, generous activity for the benefit of others. Does your life look like that in your relationships? What about church? That's a kind of corporate covenant. Church matters. Is not a spirit-filled life a life of doing good and being sacrificially committed to one another? Being purposeful and intentional. Thinking about how what I do affects the whole. We live in such an individualistic culture. The fruit of the spirit is goodness. What you do in the context of a church family matters. Goodness is not just armchair theory. It involves practical actions. If you're a Christian and God's goodness has been planted in your heart, you will be at least beginning to say, what can I give rather than what can I get? You begin to notice other people's needs as God does and he'll move you and touch your heart to respond in help and service and love and kindness. He'll give you a heart to want to share the good news of Jesus with others who don't know Jesus. Won't he? Let me ask you then, in terms of your relationships, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? How are you investing your very life? Are you busy doing good? Or are you just busy? I was thinking of giving you some homework to go and get a concordance of the Bible and look at the people in the New Testament who were said to be good Barnabas, a good man and full of the Holy Spirit. Dorcas, always doing good and helping the poor. Joseph of Arimathea, described as a good man. What will be the epitaph over your life in relation to this? The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. It's your character and action beneficial to other people another thing we could think about under this heading is patience I know it's one of the other fruits of the spirit but one of the issues for us is patience isn't it in doing good sometimes life is hard we live in a broken world sometimes it's not our fault sometimes it is and we think how can I do good when everything I try to do I just feel disappointed and frustrated 